Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast and Sefer Hoshea. Today, Perektet, Chapter 9. And we are dedicating our learning to Chayalei Tzvahaganali Israel, to our brave soldiers, to their success and safe return, to the return of all of the hostages, and to the healing of the wounded in this war in Gaza. Today we are learning chapter 9, and I would like to talk about uh, fruit. We're coming up to Tubishvat, and for 2,000 years of exile, Jews ate fruits wherever they lived. Whether they were in Warsaw or Casablanca, in Paris or Perth, and they dreamed, they yearned, they pined for the land of Israel. So let's talk a little bit about fruit and food. In the Torah, the produce of the land is seen as a tool, or maybe food in general, is a tool to tie the person and the collective to Hashem. For example, in the wilderness, the man or the manna, um, made us patently aware that God was the source of our sustenance. And even when we arrive in the land of Israel, we're told to remember the wilderness. We're told that when we have Eretz, Kital, Sorav, Gefen, Vete'inav, Rimon, when we have a land with agriculture, we're supposed to, We're meant to, when we eat, when we eat and are satisfied, we're meant to bless God, to appreciate, that God is the source of our economy, our bounty, our food, our joy. And you know, on on Chagim, on festive days, the bounty of the land became a very integral part of the drama. Pesach, which is the uh, Chag Aviv, the spring festival. Shavuot, Chag Katsir, celebrated the, the harvest. And Sukkot was the ingathering of all the fruits and the wine. And we, of course, had the processions with the Bikurim, the first fruits. The God... The connection between God and land is visceral and powerful. So here, if you if you read through Perakhtet, you will see that Hoshea speaks to the people about food and fruit. Now, since the people in Ephraim at this time see other gods as the source of their prosperity, likely, by the way, they, they worship Hashem and other gods one alongside the other. So, but since they see other gods as the source of their prosperity, God says that he's going to withhold their agricultural bounty if they think it comes from them rather than God. Well, he doesn't need to provide it. And he even suggests that the food which they offer when they make their sacrifices and donations to foreign deities, to the Baal, he compares it to the money which is paid to a prostitute. Let's read from Pasuk Aleph. Altismach Yisrael el gil ka'amim. Don't rejoice, O Israel, like the other people rejoice. Because you have strayed from God, you have, you know, fornicated yourself away from God. You love a prostitute's fee from every threshing floor of new grain. In other words, you give donations from your grain to other gods. And therefore God says in Pasuk Bet, in verse 2, your crops will fail. Goren v'yekev lo ira'im v'tirosh yikachashba. The fresh, the threshing floor, and the wine press lo ira'im. They won't produce. 
and the new wine will fail. And now, verse 3, you're going to be exiled, and especially on Chagim, especially on festivals, you're not going to be able to pour wine in the temple, you're not going to be able to bring your Bikurim, you're going to be denied your Jewish sacrifices, and your Chagim are going to feel dislocated and devoid of the true connection between your national heritage and your history and your land. So I read Pasuk Gimel. Lo yeshvu ba'eretz Hashem. They're not going to live in the land of God. B'shav Ephraim Yitzrayim. Ephraim will return to Egypt, return because we came out of Egypt. Uva ashur And those who are exiled to Assyria will eat tamay, impure food. In other words, in the end, they're going to eat impure food. The laws of Tum and Tara, of, of ritual uh, purity, don't apply. And they're going to eat bread in a foreign land. I even wonder whether that's the reason that Chazal continued a practice of purity in the Tilat Yadayim, despite the exile. And then let's just read verse 4 and 5. They won't be able to pour out wine for God. And uh, they won't be able to um, take pleasure from their sacrifices. All their bread will be like the food of mourners. Listen to this phrase. Because their food will only be for them. It will only be for their own hunger. They won't be able to bring their food to the house of God. What are you going to do on festive days? Right, you, you, the, the main thing is going to be missing. Right, you're not going to be able to bring your when you're in exile. You are not going to be able to bring your sacrifices to any temple. In other words, I'm going to exile you from the land, and suddenly you're going to remember what exactly you're missing. Here you've been uh, serving the Baal and serving God, but when you go into exile, you're going to lose it all. And that very the Judaism, which is constructed on a paradigm of uh, sacrifices and bringing your agricultural produce to the temple all of that will be gone and suddenly you're going to feel your life is completely empty in this regard let me share a story once i traveled uh, on a lecture abroad and when i returned i was sort of uh, sitting around the dinner table with my family and updating them about the trip and I, because i'd been in a few sort of remote locations where there weren't large jewish communities my wife said to me well what did you eat while you while you were on your trip. So I responded and I said, well, I managed fine with, with fruit and a yogurt. My kids who were at the table, and they're very used to Israel where there is plentiful kosher food. In fact, my kids don't even know what non-kosher food is, certainly at that stage. They asked me to explain. So I said, well, listen, you know, in Chutzlaretz, you can't rely, you can't go and get a pizza and you can't go and get a shawarma. But the one thing you can do is eat fruit. In Chutz Aretz, there's no Kudushata Aretz, there's no sanctity of the land, there's no Truman Ma'aser, all the fruits kosher in Chutz Aretz. At which point, one of my children, my very innocent children at the time, uh, responded and said, well, if there's no Kudusha, if there's no sanctity in the fruits, why would Jews ever want to live there? I think that sort of awakening, that heads up, is exactly what Hosea is trying to communicate to the people in this chapter. Here you live in the land, 
and the land connects you to God, but you've betrayed God and you've gone after other gods, but soon you're going to be exiled from the land and you're going to have this incredible dislocation, this uh, bifurcation, this separation, this rupture, whereby you won't even be able to celebrate um, that continuum of land to celebration, to nationhood, to God. And uh, this is going to be the penalty for the actions that you've taken. That's it for today. See you tomorrow.